0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls and everything in between, welcome to The Kevin Clifton Show. Bit of a shorter episode for you this week, because I wanted to reflect on the last year for the theatre industry. Um, look, we're heading towards the 27th, which is going to be World Theatre Day, March 27th. Um, and as I sit here recording this podcast, it is a year to the day that I personally was told to go home from rehearsals. I was in the middle of rehearsals for Burn the Floor, which a lot of you... No, uh, is a show that I've been involved with since 2008 on and off. So even like way before Strictly Come Dancing, um, I was involved in Burn the Floor. It's a show that's very close to my heart. Um, it's basically the most successful ballroom show in history. And it started way before I was involved with it. And um, it's been going for over 20 years, Broadway, West End, world tours. And we had an amazing 2019 tour with the, of the UK with the show. And we are all set to do a 2020 tour as well. And then obviously we all know what happened and and what became of of theatre in general, not just just burn the floor. And like I say, it was a year ago that we'd already had a a few days before we'd had an announcement from Boris Johnson, which said that, you know, I think the announcement said, don't we encourage you not to go to the theatre. At the moment, it wasn't a direct order, close the theatres. It was, we encourage you not to go. So it was sort of, uh, it put theatres in a very difficult position. And then a few days later, sort of, we were wondering what was going to be happening at rehearsals. And the show was in really good shape as well. It was looking really good. We'd just done our sort of first rough run through from beginning to end There were still a few things that that we needed to finish but you know with what we had so far everyone was looking really good and we had that first sort of a to z run through where everyone was sweating and going for it and um we were so happy about where the show was sitting and we were told right we're from we're not coming in tomorrow we're gonna have to go home and await further news basically now for us at the time it seemed like okay, it looks like we're not going to get much more rehearsal time. Um, I think we still had a couple of weeks to go before we were due to open. And we were we were looking at it like we might have to just tech in the theatre, so do all the sort of lighting and sound and keep rehearsing at home and stay in touch with each other. And we might just have to pretty much go on an opening night without too much rehearsal. Um which we would have done. It wouldn't be the first time Burn the Floor over, you know, 20-something years has been in that position. Uh, we totally would have just worked, worked our asses off at home. Um, but it would have been difficult. But obviously that turned into a much longer period, and then it started looking like, okay, we're going to have to move the dates back a little bit, maybe a month or so. Then it turned into a few months. Then it turned into sort of September, then Christmas, then... Here we are. It's a year later that uh, theatres haven't been able to open. We did a short tour, obviously, with um, my sister, an evening with two um, socially distant audiences, which went for about a week, just over a week. And then we went into a second lockdown. So, yeah, we're, we're still we're still in discussions at the moment for, you know, waiting for the news all the time. We're hearing the roadmap out of the pandemic, how that can work for theatres. And still looking to to go out with burn the floors as, as soon as we can, and there's lots of other shows uh, waiting to do the same thing, and and I'm I'm involved with a few other projects as well, a few different people that I'm talking to about shows going out, so it's looking like things hopefully later this year will be a lot more positive, and we can all get back to the theatre soon, but. For the moment, it's a year since we were sent home from rehearsal. So I just wanted to take this sort of shorter podcast this week just to reflect on the last year and some of the conversations that I've had on this podcast in terms of, you know, we've talked a lot about identity for performers, about mental health. We talk talk about the sort of financial aspect of it all. And what it means to be a performer and people reassessing things that there was a moment, obviously, when it felt like all performers were being told to retrain and things like that, which is, you know, not acceptable when, when it's your passion. Um, so we've got an event coming up, which is really exciting. It's World Theatre Day on the 27th. And you might have seen me. I was on uh, Morning Live, BBC Morning Live and was talking about this event. It's called Rise Up With Arts. And I had Anya Garnis on the podcast a couple of weeks ago talking about it. So this is an event that's been brought about by um, Pasha Kovalev and Anya Garnis, formerly of Strictly Come Dancing, obviously. Uh, pa- uh, Anya actually came on the show the same year as me in 2013. Uh, a group of five new professionals that year. Pasha was on a couple of years before me and i think he did 7 or 8 years and I'm, I'm not sure obviously one with uh with caroline flack in 2014 if you haven't watched the caroline flack documentary that was just on on channel 4 i think it was uh just this last week i'd advise everyone to go and watch that just to have you know to understand more about caroline herself and and also just as a study on how you know how we keep having to remind ourselves just to be kinder the the way people are treated by the press nowadays you know we're seeing the same things with Meghan markle um we, we see it over and over again especially with with women and, and but also the way that we have to behave on social media um and how he how we have to be a lot kinder it's an, it's a really good documentary um, and i urge everyone to watch that but yeah pasha and anya brought about rise up with arts which is going to be this global live streamed variety show it's going to be huge Um, Go to riseupwitharts.com to to go and get your tickets for it. It's going to be amazing. They've basically lined up this array of talent from all over the world. So we've got performers from the cast of Moulin Rouge from Broadway, including Ricky Rojas, who was on this podcast a while back, Um, incredible performer. Um, yeah, so we've got the cast of Moulin Rouge, we've got West End singers, we've got Pasha and Anya themselves are going to be dancing, we've got Argentine tango dancers, we've got flamenco dancers, we've got singers and songwriters from America, we've got dancers uh, from So You Think You Can Dance in America, different choreographers displaying their work. I also announced on Morning Live that we've got Brian May from Queen and uh, and Carrie Ellis performing their new song together for Rise Up With Arts, uh, which is just really exciting. Um, I myself will be performing Dead or Alive from, you know, the Bon Jovi song from Rock of Ages that I obviously did in 2019, the the UK tour. So I recorded that last Sunday and uh, it was just amazing, thrilling to be back in a theatre. We went to the Turbine Theatre and recorded that on the stage and it was my one chance to dress up again in all my Rocky stuff and <laughs> because I had to be a rock star in Rock of Ages because Stacey hates it when I put on my all my rock and roll gear that I kind of used to wear a lot when I was very sort of gothy and uh, rock-inspired, when I used to wear a lot of leather and black eyeliner and black fingernails and makeup and have long black hair down to my shoulders and all of that. Um, Stacey thinks it's quite funny when I wear all that and she really prefers it that I don't um so any chance to get it out is is really exciting for me so when I went to record Dead or Alive I got properly dressed up again got my eyeliner on even doing sunglasses indoors (laughs) to look as rock star as I could um which you'll be able to see on Rise Up With Arts um I really went for it I was so extra just because you know I haven't done something like that in a year so the chance to do it I I was like I'm not going to miss out on this I'm going I'm I'm going all in on this performance. Actually, Nick Stacy's sunglasses for the performance itself. Um, but during the sort of build-up and, and doing some of the the promo stuff for Rise Up With Arts, um, I, I was sent a lot of sort of facts and figures and things to talk about and pointers. And I thought I'd read some of these out to you just, um, just about theatre itself and the theatre industry and, and, and where it is. So I'm going to read these out to you. Um, so obviously, the government roadmap itself was announced on twenty second of February, um, outlining the sort of four stages of reopening the economy, um, which obviously is going to depend on on different reviews of the scientific data and the medical data. But the, the ones that are specific to theatre and entertainment venues um, is was the step three that we were all looking at. Is it says no earlier than seventeenth of May, and at least five weeks after step two includes the reopening of outdoor and indoor theater performances with up to a thousand attendees or 50% of the venue capacity, whichever is lower. So realistically, we're talking about socially distant audiences. It's going to be, you know, 50, depending on the size of the venue, we're talking about sort of 50, 60%. Um, well, no 50% of the, of the capacity uh, for, for the venues, um, which a lot of shows can't afford to do. So that's not an option because the numbers don't work. Um, They can't afford to run the shows on those numbers. Some shows will strip right back in terms of their costs and see what they can produce. They'll maybe do concert versions of the show rather than the full production show. And some of the shows are in a position where they've said, I think the NIMAX theaters have said that they are willing to run at a loss, which one, you know, it's, it's, we're very lucky that they're able to do that that they have the resources to do that and two that they've taken that sort of selfless decision to do that just for the entertainment industry and the shows and the performers themselves so some shows i know are opening around that time but it it will be sort of 50 percent capacity but then the date that we're all looking at as the sort of magical almost like christmas too, is step four which is the 21st of june or no earlier than 21st of June and at least five weeks after step three, includes removal of all legal limits on social contact and reopening the remaining closed settings, enabling large events like theatre performances to go ahead above the step three capacity restrictions, potentially using testing to reduce the risk of infection. Um, then it says step four being subject to the events research program pilots being successful. So people are looking at can we go out and be back to normal in terms of full capacity theatre productions going ahead from the twenty first of June. That's the interesting bit. So different producers have taken different steps. Some producers have gone very gung ho on this, like right twenty second of June we're going out. Let's do it. Let's you know let's get this bad boy back into existence and uh, and kickstart the, the theatre industry again. And some producers are being a lot more cautious and saying, "Look, we've been here before. We've had dates before. We we don't know what's going to happen. There's always going to be a risk of you know a, another wave or Im- the infection rate going up. The R number, as they call it. You know, is it going to be is it going to be as simple as going out on twenty second of June?" If there's any complications as we head into autumn and winter, if there's any more spikes, and even if it's not as bad as a lockdown situation, even if the government just say, look, we need to go for three weeks into a tier system again, or we need theatres to go back to 50% capacity, some of the big production shows can't afford to do that. And so it will throw their whole sort of plan into chaos. And I'm sure there'll be insurance conversations to be had. So... You know, some of the producers are being slightly more cautious, and some of them are going full gung ho. I'll read some more of these points out that that, that were sent to me. So, just in in, in terms of uh, some of the finances. So, freelancers seventy percent of workers in the theatre sector are self-employed and freelancers. Despite the twenty twenty one budget expansion of SEISS to include new entrants to the self-employed tax system, thousands continue to be ineligible for support. So clearly, this is still, obviously, like it is for a lot of people, a, a financial burden on, on a lot of people who are freelancers within the entertainment industry. So, you know, getting back to work again can't come soon enough, and they need to be supported as much as possible, uh, which is where the funds come in. So different charities or funds have been set up, which was the point of Rise Up With Arts. Uh, like a lot of the money, I think all of the money, actually, is going to the Theatre Support Fund... And uh, another one, the Actors Fund, um, to support people basically in the industry who are just not getting any support and are finding things very difficult. That's the whole point of of why Rise Up With Arts has become a thing. So Theatre Support Fund Plus is currently raising monies for freelancers by the sale of merchandise with all profits going to Fleabag Support Fund and Acting for Others. That's the one, Acting for Others, um, which currently help freelancers in the industry who have not been able to claim any support. So as I say, Rise Up with Arts has brought together all these amazing performers from across the world. Um, I don't know the you know whether any of these people are getting paid or if they're getting a small fee. I'm I'm certainly I'm offering my services for free. Um, I would imagine that most of the artists are, um, so that basically we can raise as much money as possible for the theatre support fund, Fleabag support fund, acting for others. To try and help out these people who, um, you know, have just been annihilated by the pandemic and, and fall through those cracks where they get no support from the systems in place. So a few more points. Why is UK theatre so important is, is the headline of, of this section that I was sent. So number one, UK theatres generate £1.3 billion pounds per annum in ticket revenue and add £7.9 billion to the nation's gross value added which is huge. And I think this is one of the things that that we people that work in theatre wanted to point out straight away because I think when we started kicking up a bit of a fuss earlier on in the pandemic of like we're getting no support, there's nothing in place to save theatres, to save the, the theatre industry. I think some people that would go against us, you know, sort of people on Twitter and whatever, were of the opinion that oh, you know, there's there's lots more important things in life than the theatre, and, and they weren't thinking about it properly. They weren't thinking about the whole situation. They they weren't thinking about the sheer amount of money that the theatre brings in. So if we let the theatres die, um, it's going to be a huge loss economically for the country, which nobody wants. And, and I think quite a few people I've spoken to who in the first instance were like, oh, get over it, it's just theatre, it's just a load of, you know, soft people playing about on a stage. You know, I think... Even they are admitting now, yeah, we hadn't quite (laughs) thought it through. We were just sort of all a bit outraged. You know, someone had got us outraged on Twitter. And um, I think even those people are admitting now, yeah, clearly it's very important economically, the theatre industry. So point two, it generates over £1 billion in VAT revenue for HM Treasury from direct sales of ticket and ancillary purchases, and from additional economic impact on the restaurant, hotel, and inbound tourism and travel sectors, which does not include additional revenue in the form of PAYE and national insurance contributions. So, yeah, that's, that's the other thing that we have to think about, is on a night when, let's say, 1,000 or 1,500 or 2,000 people, however big the theatre is, are going to the theatre, all that traffic is going to the surrounding area as well. So people don't just go to the theatre. They buy their ticket to the theatre. They also spend in the theatre in terms of snacks and drinks and maybe merchandise as well. They also will go to a restaurant before going to the theatre. So it's massive business for all the sort of local businesses around the theatre, the local theatres. Sorry, the local restaurants and bars. People will come out the theatre and go to a bar and, and, and have a few drinks with their friends. And taxis around there's so many local businesses around the theatres that survive on all the traffic coming from the theatres so it's it's such um it's an economy it's a, it's a it's a massive organism it's not it's not just one thing that's just you know a load of people wanting to play around on a stage as, as we've been labeled point three uk theater entertains over 34 million people annually More people see a West End show each year than attend a Premier League football match. And West End attendances are nearly one million higher than Broadway in New York. So this is the thing. We, We place a lot of importance on football. Now, I'm a massive football fan. So I'm very grateful that football, there's been a lot of effort behind football to get football back on, even without audiences. So I know the football clubs are losing a lot of money. And there's been a lot of sort of support packages in place to keep football afloat because we see the importance of football. Now, the theatre industry financially, ec- economically is, by the numbers, <laughs> brings in more than, than football does. Um, so I think that's why a lot of theatre people w- would like the same sort of support thrown behind them. Um, but also, I- I've always said from a mental health perspective that there's nothing brings people together more than sport and art so like in what other situations I used to years ago it used to be religion you know people would all come together in churches uh, and that was the sort of community thing that community was built around back in the day now community is very much built around sports and art people will come together to watch a sporting event or a football match for example and people you know there's we're so divisive nowadays you know there's a lot of people arguing everything gets very tribal left versus right and you know people arguing on social media and and you know, t- TV shows and, and tabloids that are designed to sort of stoke up outrage and arguments, you know, we'll argue about Brexit, we'll argue about whatever else. Um, there's so much divisiveness. But when people come together at a sporting event, you know, what, what, are the th- what other things are there where people come together and are all singing the same song, even if it's just their football song, you know, their um, their chant? football does that a lot of sporting events do that where you all come together and get behind a team and you're all on on the same side also art does the same thing so people love going to a concert or you know to hear music playing or to to go and watch a play to go and watch a musical to go to the cinema and watch a film people come together to do one thing all together as as a group as a community and and that's got to be a good thing for for everybody's mental health, we're missing that right now because we're all at home and we can't see our, our friends. We can't do things together. And we need that as as humans. We need that. And like I've just read out those numbers, theatre brings it. You know, more people go to see a West End show each year than attend a Premier League football match. That's how big it, and important it is. Point four, UK theatre is a major cultural export, which adds to our soft power and international reputation. Well, that's the thing, you know, in the, in the UK, we're known for having great theatre. We have a reputation for being great at it. You know, many, many great actors and writers and performers like producing great stuff. And they go on to create stuff that we then see on TV. Um, you know, things like, things like Fleabag. She was, she was performing that uh, as a one-woman show, Phoebe waller you know things like the Edinburgh Fringe and and small theaters, and then it grew and grew until it was a a bigger thing. And then she was offered the chance to do it on TV. Now, like Fleabag, is one of the the biggest shows that so many people have watched, and she's gone on to to write for amazing things and. But these people come out of the theatre. They come out of doing small theatre and then bigger theatre and then go on to do film and TV. All these, these great actors that we watch on, on the likes of Netflix and then in the cinemas. And we have a, a reputation for it here. It's one of our things that we do really well, that we can be proud of. And there's, there's, lots, of, there's lots of things going on at the moment which, you know, <laughs> which we get wrong in this country and, and that we're not necessarily that proud of. Um, but theater is one that we always can be proud of. And and obviously we want the chance to, to push that forward and keep it going. Point five, theater is a key economic and tourism driver for communities around the UK, increasing footfall and visitor spend. It also provides community hubs and outreach reach programs that bring people together and improve mental and physical health. So yeah, again, we are bring more money in, in tourism. Lots of people come to London to go to a, to a west end show from all over the world which drives more more money for the country and then off the back of that like it says in that point we we create a lot of programs to to help people who otherwise wouldn't be able to be involved in things like this and it, you know th- theater is such a driver of of community and programs and, and and mental health and physical health bringing people together um yeah just That's five points of why UK theatre is is so important and why why we can't wait to get back to it. So the impact of COVID on theatre and the economy. The pandemic has had a devastating effect on the theatre sector and the wider live events sector as well. The furlough scheme, self-employed income support scheme and business rate cuts have been a lifeline for many. And venues have been innovative in terms of digital offerings and fundraising. However, this is now the reality we we have been brilliant you know performers entertainers pr- producers writers directors everyone that works in the theatre industry are quite re- resilient creatures we know that we go through periods of without working and then and then we're working and you know we know that that's what comes with the gig and we've adapted incredibly i've i've seen some incredible productions things filmed on green screen um, with actors not even in the same room and then put together things like the Romeo and Juliet production that I saw. Um, I've seen plays completely outside and socially distant where you're following, following the actors literally around, around London with um, uh, sound being played through your phone into your ears to hear the thoughts of the actors as they're acting it out. I've seen plays done over Zoom. I've seen concerts over Zoom people have really adapted during during this last year and it's been wonderful to watch but it can't be the reality going forward. There will be elements of it where people have discovered new ways of doing things but it cannot be the only way forward um, for, for how we survive. We need, need the theatres to come back. And so a few, a few points on this. Since March 2020, revenue has been almost zero. And that's the thing, it's very difficult for theatres to survive in, in the current situation because, you know, It's difficult for everyone. I just want to qualify that before someone, you know, takes this out of context and starts kicking off. Restaurants, for example, have taken a massive hit, but restaurants can also provide takeaways and and deliveries. And it's not their usual business. And some restaurants will have gone out of business, but there are options available to them. They can still make food. Um, We've been doing, me and Stacey have had deliveries quite a lot and we've Sometimes ordered the box from a restaurant where they, they provide all the ingredients and you can make it at home to make, you know, one of their dishes, things like that. There are options to, to others, but theatre, there's just no other option that, you know, we can take it onto Zoom, but it's just, it's not going to replace any kind of revenue. So it's been, it's been almost zero. UK theatres have lost at least £1.1 billion in box office revenue and incurred over £100 million in additional losses just massive loss to the to the whole sector point three a november 2020 dcms business impacts of coronavirus survey of businesses in the performing arts found that 37 percent of respondents could only continue as a viable entity for less than three months despite government initiatives so that's how difficult it's been for everyone Theatre is a key economic driver and continued closure has a devastating impact on related sectors, including hospitality, tourism and travel and our cities and towns. And that's to the point I was saying earlier that it's a it's a real living organism around theatre, the transport around the theatre, restaurants and hospitality, hotels. Um, And just tourism in general, it all suffers if theatre isn't there. So it's not just one isolated industry that we're looking at. So impact of COVID-19 on the theatre workforce. In the six months from March to September 2020, approximately 55,000 jobs were lost in the UK's performing arts, visual arts and music industries. Despite the roadmap announcement, the workforce still faces great uncertainty over the coming weeks and months. Yeah, so I mean, fifty-five thousand jobs lost in UK performing arts, according to the Institute for Fiscal Studies. At least thirty-eight percent of freelancers have been ineligible for the furlough and self-employed income support schemes. Some have already left the sector. With early career workers, deaf and disabled, pe- deaf and disabled, and and people from a diverse ethnic background most affected. So, you know people are people are really suffering and the most vulnerable uh, have just got no chance at the moment. So that's what's happened to the theatre industry over the last year since since we were told to go home from Burn the Floor rehearsals. That's the theatre industry on a, on a macro level. On a micro level, on a more personal sort of level, you know, I can only talk in terms of what it's been like for me. I decided for the first 2 months of of going into lockdown because I've I've been very fortunate in my career that I've gone from project to project. I've I've, I've worked and worked and worked. I've I've only had a few periods where I've not been working, and I I tend to take on a lot because I like it. It's my passion, and I like working. And I'll go from Strictly Come Dancing to another show to maybe my own tour to and then another show and then some Strictly gigs and then back onto Strictly Come Dancing. Um. So I decided as soon as this hit that I personally would take. a a two month break. I was like, I'm I'm not going to worry about anything. I'm not going to think about working too much. I'm going to not think about what I'm eating. Um, You know, all of that. I'm just going to enjoy myself and take a holiday because I never have one. So I did that. And I think that was actually quite good for me for those first two months, because it's, it's just something that I personally needed. Um, Obviously you wish it was different circumstances, but it was an enforced break at the end of those two months. Uh, stacy has got a picture of me on, on the couch where I literally look like Homer Simpson. And I was like, okay, I have to get moving again. So I started running and started getting myself fit again. And then I started feeling that creative itch, like I need to do something. I need to do something creative. And I've spoken to a lot of performers on the podcast who felt this. And sometimes it comes in the form of pressure, like, oh, Shakespeare wrote two, three of his best works during a lockdown situation. This is the time when I need to be productive and create all these masterpieces. Sometimes that pressure feels like it's on top of you. And if it is, you need to not worry too much about that because if you're in that pressurized situation, I don't believe you're going to be that creative anyway. So I tried not to worry about that, but definitely had those feelings. But then just felt like, I wanted to create something. And that's the, that's when it gets to the good bit where you start to feel inspired again and you feel you, you want to create new things. And we talked a lot on the podcast about taking stock of things around you, the, the things that you surround yourself with, the conversations you like having, the things you like watching on TV, the things that you listen to, because they reveal when you have time on your hands and you're at home, not doing things. And obviously this is for people who were in that situation, you start to realize the real values that you hold, and and the real things that are important to you, so I started just having this real urge to write things, and I did a writing course, and then I started working on a children's book that that's still in development at the moment. Uh, I then started writing on uh, uh, working on a TV drama that I'm writing that's in development now. Um, so that's I've ended up being very productive during lockdown, but it came at a point where. I was relaxed enough to then start feeling creative and inspired. I wasn't forcing it on myself. Like I need to be this, crea- this creative genius right now because I feel like everyone else is going to. Um, but, I, but I started finding those things. Some people found that actually the things that they thought were important to them weren't so important to them. Some people will be reassessing their careers at this point and thinking, Actually, I've, I've always put this pressure on myself to do this or perform or whatever. And actually, I don't enjoy it as much as I used to. I got to that point years ago when I was a competitive ballroom dancer, where I put all this pressure on myself to be the best dancer in the world in the competition world. And I got to a point where I had a break and because me, I, me and my dance partner had split, where I thought, actually, do I enjoy this as much as I always say I do? And discovered that I didn't so I actually gave up dancing and had a break and again and it was in that period of a break and a, and a sort of a reassess where I found out that I did love performing I love singing acting and dancing but it wasn't about competition for me it was about performing and collaborating with other people and being on stage which is when I discovered burn the floor so in some senses and obviously we're not talking about if you're in real trouble, you know, if you're struggling to put food on the table, to feed your kids, to, to have shelter, those kind of things, obviously that's a very different situation. But if you are in a situation where you're just having an enforced break, as difficult as it has been, sometimes if, if you if you want to try and look for a positive, you can look for those times of like, okay, this is a break for me and it's a time to reflect on on myself at the moment and what I'm doing and what I actually want, not just the things that I've been saying I want. And another discussion that we've been having on the podcast is about identity. A, a lot of performers feel that because they've been doing it since they were maybe four years old or two years old or something, that they've they've been training for it all their life. They've been doing it all their life, that they identify themselves as an actor or a singer or a dancer or you know, whatever their job is within performing arts. And some people will have this with their job. Some people don't. Some people work, you know, might work in, in an office or something and and love it. But some people might work in an office and think I, they have no love for their job. It's just their means of, of bringing in money to provide for their family and or whatever else they want to do, um, you know, or, or to fulfill their sort of dreams of traveling around the world and things like that. And the job isn't actually that important to them. It's just their means of bringing in money. I think for most people in the entertainments industry, it's their passion. And it's what they've always loved. And it's what they've thrown themselves into. And they've put themselves through hard times way before there was a pandemic. Times of, you know, having no money at all. And just waiting on someone to give them opportunity and Auditioning and auditioning for roles and just trying to get ahead because that was the thing that they wanted to do. I've talked openly about how I, I used to live in my car when I was when I was a young dancer because I didn't want to keep asking my mum and dad for money. Uh, I could barely earn much money and dance lessons were expensive. And so, to save on rent, I used to live pretty much in my Ford Fiesta for a while and just get up and shower in the dance studio and brush my teeth and then have more lessons and keep practicing. Um, and a lot of performers have gone through this, so they feel like it's their whole identity. So then without it over the last year, there's a, there's a real feeling of, well, who am I without this? Who am I without performing? And that's definitely been something for me. And I've, I've had to think, yeah, well, okay, this is me. And like I was saying before take stock of all the things around you and understand and realize who you are rather than try and force something. Okay, without this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be this now. Just figure out who you are. So it's a real time of, of self-reflection. But look, we've, we've talked about all the importance of theater on a macro level, an economic level, a financial level um, for the country. And we've talked about you know I've talked about on a personal level what it's been like for me. I personally cannot wait for theaters to open again later this year and get performing again. I've got so many exciting things in the pipeline at the moment that I'm not allowed to tell you about at the moment. I can't talk about, but there's things in development, things that haven't been announced yet um, like I say, I'm working away on the book on the t v drama and and there's different shows that i I'm really excited about. And as soon as theatres open up, I'm going to go straight back to the theatre to see everything I can. And I really hope everyone's going to do the same. I hope everyone is going to flock back to the theatre and not, and not worry. Everyone's going to get the vaccine and just go and support theatres and, and, and get it back on its feet. But in the meantime, Rise Up With Arts is, is the big event that's happening on World Theatre Day, March 27th, where you're going to get to see some of the best performers in the world of acting, singing, dancing. I'm going to be performing in it, singing Dead or Alive. And yeah, like I say, Brian May and Kerry Ellis. You know, that's, that's worth the entry fee alone. And so go to riseupwitharts.com to get your tickets. And I think they'll be streaming it over the weekend. I think the first one is on the 27th, and then they'll be streaming it a couple of times over the weekend. But don't miss out. It's going to be a real celebration of of the arts and everything that we've missed over the last year and everything that we've got to look forward to okay thanks everybody like i said it was just me this week in a shorter podcast um if you wanted to help out the podcast in any way i'd really appreciate it um if if you haven't subscribed already by the way hit the subscribe button so that the podcast will just download automatically to your phone every week so you don't keep having to go to look for it or download it so just go to the Kevin Clifton show on wherever you get the podcast um Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or whatever hit the subscribe button and if you wanted to rate the podcast as well that really helps out the podcast so I'm told there's there's all the algorithms and stuff which basically means if you comment if you leave a comment and say how good it was or uh, or, a, or like a five star rating basically that that's not for my ego (laughs) that's just that's for it helps the algorithm to understand that it's a podcast that people like so it pushes it out to more people and more people will get to see it and i'd really appreciate um if you could if you could do that for me obviously i've been doing the podcast for over a year now and um i've really loved talking to all the all the guests and talking about performing arts in in lots of different ways talking about strictly come dancing as well obviously and we've got lots more exciting episodes to come so yeah if you could help us out with a five-star rating and a comment and push it out the podcast is growing and growing at the moment thank you very much guys and we'll speak to you again next week